I'm Pat McKay, and this is Providence Ventures Radio, where we talk about funding the future of healthcare. That is our focus. That will always be our focus until time ceases to exist or we change our minds. I have two guests with me today, Jeff Stolte from Providence Ventures and Cecil Cost from In Demand Interpreting. Very glad to have you both on the program today. Delighted to be here. Thanks, Pat. Happy to be here. Cecil, I have a very important question for you right out of the gate. Are you, by chance, familiar with the song Smooth Operator by Sade? Well, as a matter of fact, I am. Actually, I distinctly remember when it was released in 1984 as part of that wonderful group's uh, debut album. But don't ask me to sing it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, uh, yeah I'll, I'll refrain from asking that and I'll, uh, I'll kind of hold myself back there, although it's tempting. But I have to say, that's the song that popped into my head when I was reading about you, when I was reading your background. You have four decades of operating experience across a wide variety of healthcare IT and other technology-based health products and services. Over the years, you've worked with emerging growth companies to enterprises with $1 billion in revenue while guiding strategic development, integrating complementary businesses, building and motivating teams, and, of course, partnering with folks in venture capital like Jeff here from Providence Ventures. My friend, you definitely sound like a smooth operator to me. Well, th- thanks for the kind words, Pat. I'll just leave it by saying I've tried to make the most out of my 44 years in healthcare. Cecil, currently you're the chairman and CEO of InDemand. So tell us a little bit about InDemand. You know, to understand InDemand, it might be helpful to understand the industry problem. Many people don't realize that one in five people who live in this country do not speak English at home. Half of those don't speak it well or at all, and therefore are called limited English proficient. And then there's a million plus of deaf individuals. By law, these individuals are to receive language services when they receive health care by any organization that receives federal funding. And what In Demand does is that we provide a means by which a healthcare provider can access a medically qualified interpreter over video with a single touch of a button in roughly 20 seconds. So it provides that instant on-demand access to language services that helps healthcare organizations improve compliance with law, enhance the patient experience, and ultimately, through more effective communication, improve health outcomes. That's fantastic. Jeff Stolte, this is the first time we've heard from you on this show, but you're a recognized speaker and leader in the healthcare venture capital space where you have 20 plus years investment experience in medical technology. As I've already mentioned, you are currently a partner with Providence Ventures, where you helped build and now manage a $150 million VC fund on behalf of Providence St. Joseph Health, a $23 billion healthcare system. And to date, you've led seven of their 13 total investment transactions. Like Cecil, you have experience on the operational side of things having served in product management and business development roles with healthcare technology startups, including WebMD and WellMed. That means we might actually have a couple of smooth operators on the program today. Uh, I don't know. I think I might be something uh, onto something here, Jeff. I don't know what you think. Yeah, don't, don't make me sing, Pat. Nobody wants that. 
I'm a glutton for punishment <laughs> in many ways. Healthcare investing isn't the easiest of the venture capital segments, but I've been really fortunate to work at several early technology leaders uh, on the operating side, as you suggested in this segment, and also make numerous investments once I took a seat on the other side of the table. You know, what really keeps me energized is the opportunity to play a small part in helping to improve our healthcare system for our patients, for our caregivers. It's obviously one of the largest, most important industries um, in our country and really in the world. It's nice to have that double bottom line opportunity doing well by trying to do some good and investing on behalf of an organization like Providence St. Joseph Health with its mission to serve the poor and vulnerable is just a great platform for change. How did you and Cecil find one another? You weren't standing in the R&B section of a record store at the time, I, I would imagine. Uh, no, no. I, but I, I have to say I was impressed by Cecil's deep familiarity with Sade. I remember that song, but uh, not, not so intimate with it. So that's great. No, actually, Providence is a longstanding customer of In Demand on the operating side of our organization, meaning in our hospitals and some of our clinics. And so when I started here and helped start up our fund four years ago, we really began surveying the landscape. And it turns out that in-demand interpreting was just about to raise capital from some friends of mine at a respected healthcare venture capital fund in New York City called Health Enterprise Partners. They mentioned that in-demand was an exciting growing company that happened to count Providence as a customer. And those are the stories that immediately piqued my interest. In parallel with that, our executive sponsor here at Providence and the organization's chief digital officer, Aaron Martin, happened to know a board director at in-demand from their respective days at Amazon. So there was serendipity across a few dimensions. Cecil was the chairman of the company at the time, but as he assumed the CEO role, it's blossomed into a really valued relationship. The communication difficulties between patients and caregivers for, for you know, all, all kinds of different reasons. Was this an issue you've been aware of kind of throughout your in, 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 you know, medical investment career? And then you finally saw an approach from in demand, from you know, uh, you know, a recognized sort of partner already with with Providence that you could sort of get behind and believe in, or did it, or did it literally take something very specific from Cecil or or a predecessor specifically from in demand to get you excited about the solution? Yeah, one of the really neat things about my gig, Pat, is that I'm in constant learning mode. So I am a generalist. I've been in healthcare my entire career. I've been on the healthcare technology vendor side. I've been in the health system side, obviously, for a long time. The one thing, you know, that, that stays constant is that healthcare is a very complex endeavor. And I'll be honest, while it's intuitive that we should meet our patients wherever they are, especially from a language perspective, I had never gotten deep into the particular segment that in-demand plays in, namely providing virtual access or over-the-phone access to interpretation services. So the fun part is trying to quickly climb the learning curve. And again, as I mentioned, when we started our fund, we were looking for those early opportunities to engage both with our operational colleagues looking for vendors that they were in love with and or trying to find vendors in the market to bring to the table that they might be interested in. And so understanding why this is a big, important challenge in, in the, you know, with respect to providing access to interpretation at the point of care is an important challenge. And, and it's understanding why that is an important challenge and helping to point my operating colleagues to innovative solutions that can help them deliver better care is really at the core what a, a strategic fund like Providence Ventures is all about. So as we've discussed, we were fortunate that several of our regions were in-demand customers at the time of the investment opportunity became apparent. 
And our model really works best when we can solicit the feedback and engage the expertise of our colleagues at the front lines of healthcare to hear directly from them how a particular solution meets their needs. Why is it important? What value does it create? How does it change the lives of your caregivers or your patients? And in the case of in-demand, when I started making those calls, the, the feedback was resoundingly positive. And, and again, it, like a lot of technology solutions, the solution sounds intuitive, but when you get into the complexities of delivering it in the care workflow, you understand that it takes seasoned operators and technology experts to, to really build a company that can be effective. So anyway, I, as with any company, I climbed the curve and have continued to climb that curve and do so to this day. It sounds like it's, it's really what's the most important thing is that you find partners in companies that are, are helpful to the overall company mission, the, the good of what, you know, Providence St. Joseph is trying, trying to do and, and going from there. I mean, you're, you're not necessarily ch- chasing technologies and looking for specific solutions. You're looking for, for, for terrific partners who are doing things that make sense for that mission. That's exactly right. You know, I I think there are a variety of models in investing, pure play venture capital firms who, you know, are a great source of capital, often a great source of industry connections, uh, potentially augment, you know, the operating expertise in the boardroom for those companies. Our mission and our unique flavor of venture capital is very specific. And it, in my opinion, and I'm not sure everybody shares my opinion, but my, my philosophy is it only works when a company in question is solving a big problem for our healthcare system. And so what does that mean? Because that sounds really flippant. We, we spend a lot of time with the operating executives in this organization and folks down to the front lines of care, deeply trying to understand what are those major challenges for enabling us to deliver cost-effective, high-quality, highly-reliable care that delights our patients. And as I you know, have mentioned and will probably reiterate, it's, it's not an ethos that's necessarily pervaded healthcare for the past decades or 100 years. But I would say with the infusion of technology and a consumer base that quite frankly is used to accessing services, whether it be ordering your books online or ordering your Starbucks coffee before you get to the, the line. They want convenience. They want high touch, but they want, they want it oftentimes through non-traditional channels of care. Those various market trends and industry trends and consumer trends are informing the way we think about operating a healthcare enterprise. And we're very much focused on innovating around those issues. Again, as we work with our operating executives, it's getting them to help us define what we call problem statements. Um, In this case, in the case of in-demand, the problem statement might be, look, X percent of my patients who come through the door need care, but they cannot converse with the clinicians who are trying to deliver that care. Sounds, you know, like an easy problem to solve. I think Cecil and I will tell you it's not. But but that that then opens the door for us to say, where can technology play a role? And in-demand has a unique solution to that problem. Yeah, again, I think it makes perfect sense. I mean, there are over, you know, over the over the years, over the decades, whatever there there have been probably a lot of different ways to sort of solve the problem of interpreting. But the stage that's set now, you know, for where we are currently in the world with technology, with the way consumers and, and just people in general behave, that puts some very specific demands on how you solve problems. And it just it sounds like you guys are just doing a fantastic job evolving and doing interesting things there. So Cecil, sort of on that note, since having the support of 
Providence at, at InDemand. Has that changed or evolved the way you've been able to, to sort of develop the company and develop the products? Well, I think the Providence Ventures investment has been extremely valuable to the company, Pat. You know, having raised a lot of money over the years, it, it, it's really not about just the money, obviously. It, it's, it's about the relationships and the conduit that Jeff and his colleagues have enabled in terms of allowing us to reach the organization in ways that we probably wouldn't have otherwise done before. It's wonderful to have an individual like Jeff who knows about healthcare so deeply and to be part of an organization that really is committed to innovation. The association with Providence has been helpful financially, obviously, because it's helped fuel the growth of the company. And we've enjoyed, knock on wood, extraordinary growth over a protracted period of time. But it's the relationships and, frankly, it's the high standards that Providence continues to set that pulls us, that drives us to, to higher levels of performance and allows us to maybe test and pilot new things with less vulnerability as we might with, with other customers. So it's really quite an integrated relationship, if, if you will. Did you do anything different to sort of prepare company, your products, your ideas, really, um, when you started to get to know Jeff and the team at Providence Ventures? Not much different than most executives would do when presenting an opportunity to a, a private equity group. All the requisites have to be satisfied. In our case, we also had the benefit, as Jeff pointed out, of having already established a working relationship within the Providence system that provided even better referenceability for Providence's purposes. I think the intersection here was that Providence saw the need for what we do and saw a particular applicability of what we do to its mission that only kind of, I think, intensified things between the the two organizations, notwithstanding the respect that I know Providence Ventures has for health enterprise partners who hardly introduced the company to them. Can you tell us, I'm curious about Clarity. Clarity is uh, obviously, you know, one of your one of your, your main products that you developed there at InDemand. Can you just give, it, give us a, uh, just a little idea of how that works, what it is and how it works? So Clarity is really the trade name, Pat, that we assign to the actual application, web-based application that enables our interpreting services. So it provides a menu of languages, allows the provider to select the language of choice, a male or female gender in terms of interpreter preference that many cultures uh, have strong feelings about. And within 15 seconds, with a touch of a single button, they're connected live to an interpreter over video. Clarity makes all of that happen. It leverages a state-of-the-art video conferencing platform. But the call routing, the routing to all of our employed interpreters that are operating throughout the country is facilitated by the Clarity application. So it's a rather sophisticated routing system that has to go across, think of it, 27 different queues of, of interpreters. Each queue representing a different language, if you will. I mean, there, there's a, there is a lot going on with that, that product, even just reading about it. There, there's a lot going on with that product just beyond, you know, its healthcare savvy and its, and its need in the specific healthcare world. There's 
production expertise involved, where there is a kind of proficiency with video technology specifically. There's casting, so to speak, at, le- at least through through what you what you call a very sophisticated routing system. That there, there's just a, a lot of non-medical stuff to tackle in uh, in something like this. So how how do the process of of you know evolving, creating, doing what you're doing with Clarity? How does that process go? I mean, do you have an in-house team of production and and sort of video experts? Do you partner with folks? who already have that skill set, how does it work in a, in, a, in a medical field, kind of hitting hitting the right notes on, on some of that non-medical stuff? Uh, that's a great question, Pat. And in demand, we use a combination of inside and external resources to perform our development work. Uh, as you know, when it comes to uh, software, it's an always evolving thing. It's continuing to evolve over time, whether it's new features, enhancements, fixes for that matter. It's it's a constant. Clarity was a, a good example of using the best of the best in terms of components, integrating those components, adding our own intellectual know-how in regards to the call routing capability, and making sure that it can interoperate, which is something that we should talk about you know, at a future point in terms of where we may be going. It needs to interoperate with all other things that are patient-facing that require the need for language services. Uh, Jeff, question for you. Do you speak any other languages? I do not. You know, I took the requisite four years of Spanish in high school, and I was fortunate. um, She might not feel this way, but I was fortunate to marry a, a South American woman. So my running joke with my wife, and, and she doesn't fully appreciate this, by the way, uh, is that I can deftly name and order almost any food or drink in perfect Portuguese, but my conversational ability is definitely lacking. So uh, no, I don't, I don't claim fluency in any other language. I'm working on it. But, um, you know, I, I tell you, marrying into a family where all but my wife, uh, who is perfectly fluent in English, are only fluent in their native language of Portuguese certainly makes me think more personally about the needs for services like in demand. God forbid something medical were to happen to my in-laws during their visits to the States. It's comforting to know that our facilities here in Seattle and across our other seven states would have a real-time option for them to effectively engage with their caregiver. And to your other question, you know, I visit Brazil once a year and I've been in many situations where I was on my own. I had to navigate situations without access to the pervading language. My wife doesn't let me she doesn't give me a long leash, but she'll let me, you know, stroll the streets a little bit. And uh, it certainly helps to build empathy with what must be a very challenging medical situation when you, you don't speak the language of, of your caregiver. I have a similar situation myself. Like my, my wife speaks perfect English. She grew up Western, but um, her folks speak uh, Mandarin. And so I've, I, I sit around the table a lot and listen to them talk. And over the years, we've been together for so long now, I kind of think I know what they're talking about just by the inflections and, and it's what's, what's going on. I, I think I'm sort of picking up, it up through radar. But, uh, but you know, what's interesting to me about what, what, what you're getting at there is that there's, there's an emotional component to this. And it, it does just make me wonder if that is something you look for in, in, in what you do uh, for Providence Ventures, or was that one of the things you kind of looked for? Is it is is that that gut feeling that that you're that you're trying to solve a visceral problem, or that a company is trying to solve a visceral problem? Is that important when you're trying to make an investment decision? Is is emotion ever something that kind of ends up 
on on the board or something you talk about when you consider making an investment? So I and the, and the team here at Providence Ventures, you know, are fortunate to invest on behalf of one of the largest Catholic not-for-profit healthcare systems in the United States. And one of the things that draws everyone who works at this organization is the opportunity to help this mission-driven group deliver better care to our patients, especially the poor and vulnerable. And there's a big emphasis on that, just given the types of facilities that we operate. Again, the mission of the organization, which goes back well over 150 years to the sisters uh, who originally founded this organization. And so by definition, being unable to converse with your caregiver in English makes patients vulnerable. So that is core to our mission. In-demand interpreting fits squarely within our model. I can't say that's the case with every single company we invest in. I mean, different companies have different value propositions and resonate with different aspects of our mission. I mean, part of our mission is to ensure that we are sustainably able to deliver care to to the poor and vulnerable. And so that means taking on patients of, of all shapes and sizes and all different economic backgrounds. And, and it's a very diverse patient population. In-demand in their ability to help Providence deliver more effective and compassionate care to an important subset of patients who are vulnerable is something that, yeah, it, it adds an emotional layer to borrow your language to, to the investment. And I would say, by and large, venture capital investment tends to be a somewhat black and white, you know, some would say cold-hearted business. But that's one of the reasons I love investing off a platform like this is what we're trying to do or bring innovative companies into the fold that can help us deliver on the mission, the core mission of this organization more effectively. It's really great to hear there's so much heart in, in, in what you do. And I, th I think you're right. I think most, most people don't have that impression of the investment sector of our economy. So it's fantastic to hear. Cecil. You've, as, as we've sort of skirted around a little bit a couple times uh, uh, during this conversation, but uh, you've been in this business for a long time. You've seen a lot of change along the way. You've had to evolve your approach, I'm sure, many times along the way, along your path or your journey. What's that been like, being a quote-unquote experienced dog, successfully learning tricks? How do you do it? How do you stay relevant? Well, Pat, I, I don't think I have uh, any more of a magic formula than, than many, but I, I think first and foremost, there are some guiding principles. They may sound a bit trite, but I think there's some guiding principles that I tend to follow and have followed for a long time. And that is, it, it kind of starts with how do you view success? I tend to take success as a bit of a springboard rather than a pedestal. And I think that when we do that uh, as, a, as an individual, as a company, as a leader, I think it keeps us uh, sharp all the time. And that kind of goes to the question of relevancy as well. I also think another principle is kind of the principle that we can't operate like it's business as usual because it's not. This industry is changing very rapidly and we need to be able to be focused and fast, flexible and friendly. That's critical, I think, to staying relevant. And I think the other principle is the notion of remembering that none of us are really are as strong as all of us. This notion of team and the ability to leverage team keeps everybody relevant. Uh, it, it keeps you sharp. It, 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 it makes you better. But above all else, it really is listening to the customer. I, I, I can't overstate that. To me, the most important element of staying current 
is just listening very attentively to to our clients. They'll they'll guide us in the right direction. I'm very confident of that. Jeff, would you agree with uh, uh, Cecil's thoughts there? Again, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm guessing that. Uh, I mean, I've talked to uh, quite a few of, of Providence Ventures um, folks. Cecil's a, a little bit more rare with the amount of experience that he has. Uh, again, a guy with four decades of experience in, in you know, in just a variety of roles ac- across the board, uh, and who's you know, you know, finding ways to to stay relevant. Do you sort of hear what he's putting down there? Um, do you think he's a, a good case study, for example, to follow for for younger innovators? Yeah, I mean, I think Cecil highlights exactly the kind of leader that we look for. And and again, to your point, Pat, some of what Cecil has, it's not magic, right? It it comes from a lifetime of experience. And so I think you can't magically make somebody older or more experienced. As you can probably tell, despite a, a life full of accomplishments, Cecil remains very humble. He takes a servant leader approach that I personally love. I gravitate toward. It's the kind of management style if I were back in the operating environment that I would want to work for. Right. And I and I hope Cecil doesn't take offense at this. You know, he runs a technology enabled services company, but I wouldn't consider him a deep technologist in the classical sense. He's very capable of speaking the language, but he's an operator. And no, you're still not going to get me to sing, but but he, you know, he's 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 a, he's a smooth operator for sure. <laughs> he's a smooth operator. But he but and I, I think this builds on a couple of Cecil's philosophies. And, and I've observed this firsthand. He surrounds himself with a very talented set of colleagues that have expertise in areas like technology and marketing and sales. And he leads the symphony to take your musical metaphor a little bit further. And so for any company that we look at, the composition of the team and the humility of leadership is something we analyze carefully. You know, unfortunately, it's it's often I've often found it, it's hard to deeply know the CEOs you're about to get into business with until post investment, until you're in the trenches, so to speak, uh, when you're truly in business together. So sometimes you get lucky. And I certainly feel that way about Cecil. It's Refreshing, and I hate to almost say it out loud, you know. But then, you know, I'm 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 no spring chicken, you know, anymore myself. But I feel as relevant as I've ever been because of my experience, and and to hear that, you know, the investment there's a, a section of the investment economy that really still looks at that and you know relegates that kind of importance to it is uh, it's just nice it's just nice to hear that that's out there. So Cecil, I'm a young innovator. Maybe I'm just coming out of grad school. I've got some. I got a great idea. I've got a, an idea I just know is going to change the healthcare field, and I'm just champing at the bit to get something done with it. What kind of things would you tell uh, a young innovator with, with an idea uh, in today's uh, world? Uh, I think it's pretty simple. It's, it's prove that it works and prove that you can get customers to pay for it. And, and, and bring enough customers to the party to, you know, someone like Jeff that can speak uh, confidently and, and, and highly of the product or service that you're, that you're bringing to market. In healthcare today, it has to make a real difference. I'm not necessarily saying it has to be new to the world. It just has to be better. More of the same is not what healthcare wants to spend their time on, in my humble opinion. I'll certainly defer to my colleague Jeff for for his thoughts. Jeff would love to would 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 love to hear your advice for young innovators out there. And also, I mean, quite honestly, too, we haven't covered this on the show. What about the kind of folks who who are who are looking to become investors 
in the medical side uh, again of, of the economy in the in the in the you know in the medical health field like what kind of advice all around would you have yeah maybe i'll start with the latter but i'm happy to try to address the former too cuz i i speak with entrepreneurs all day long and they come in all shapes and sizes but you know on the investment side i took what i and probably most in industry would consider a fairly non-traditional approach or or entry into venture capital i didn't graduate undergraduate wanting to be an investment banker i didn't come out of business school even necessarily thinking venture capital was my path my approach started with an interest in the intersection between technology and healthcare and this was back in the mid 90s when there you know was pretty rudimentary technology in healthcare and so i got very lucky that i got into the industry at a time when my area of interest intersected with some pretty big tailwinds that we've seen over the past 20 years by no means do i think i'm i'm that smart i think i got lucky and kind of followed that that luck ever since on the investment side though in business school, you know, I like a lot of business students through the private equity venture capital coursework. And it's a very popular class. Everybody thinks it's a, a sexy job and something that they want to do. And I was one of the few in my class who ended up going that route. I will tell you, it's not nearly as sexy as everybody says. It's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of luck. You meet some very interesting personalities on both sides of the table. But what the professor of that class shared is something that I've shared with a lot of younger folks in the industry who have an interest in investing, which is I, I think the days of being a true generalist investor, at least for the domain that I've been in uh, for the last 15 years on the investment side um, in healthcare investing are kind of done. I, I mean, I think you, you need to build, I think it's helpful to have some operating experience. You obviously need the financial and investment chops transactional experience is, is, you know, extremely relevant. And so there will always be a place for, you know, folks who've led buy side or sell side transactions from investment banking groups and investment shops to get into this field. But I think as we've kind of touched on with regard to in-demand and maybe some of the other companies you've spoken to in our portfolio and other venture capital companies, selling technology into healthcare is not like selling consumer technology. It's rarely a big bang viral adoption cycle, it's typically, and this is why a lot of people tend to steer away from healthcare technology <laughs> investing, to be frank, and why, you know, guys like Cecil and I have a lot of gray hair. It's a slog and it requires some level of understanding and appreciation for what makes healthcare delivery complex. And so I think, you know, I've, I've thrown a lot of words out there, but it's, it's combining sort of the basic tool belt, good intuition, good people skills with a real deep understanding of, of healthcare or whatever domain that you're interested in investing in. I would share just one other comment. I thought Cecil put it nicely with regard to, you know, young entrepreneurs who are trying to get into the healthcare game. You know, I, I made a big deal about how I gravitate toward leaders like Cecil with, you know, 40 plus years of experience. That is a luxury that I rarely have, right? I mean, and it's part of it's the, the, the startup game. Cecil will probably still tell you it's a game for the young at heart at the very least, if not, you know, the energetic and the young. And so we encounter and, and can, you know, have portfolio company CEOs who are younger folks. I think I'll, I'll try to reiterate one of my other comments. 
it's never to learn. It's never too early, rather, to learn some humility. And I, ironically, or maybe because they have experience, I find the most successful seasoned operators, um, of which you know, I think Cecil is a great example, have learned that and have learned how to make that work for them in in having the humility to surround themselves with great people. Ironically, it's the young entrepreneurs who are often sometimes the most brash and confident, which is a great attribute. But you need to understand where your blind spots are. And if what you're bringing to the table is energy and innovation and intelligence and a unique solution, I, I doubt you have all that at the age of 27 and also are a deep financial operating executive, an expert in marketing, an expert in sales. It's impossible, right? And so I think my advice would be as early as possible, surround yourself with people who compliment you and bring other skills to the table to enable you to be an effective leader. So this is the uh, this is the second time we uh, we've all tried to get together and and do this episode of the podcast. And the first one, it's a pretty common theme when you do these things because we're we're dealing with leadership and and very interesting, very busy people who have other things going on. And uh, the last time we were scheduled to talk, you guys you guys you had, you had some stuff come up last minute that that took you you know taking meetings and putting out fires and in other places. And it's something that happens all the time. You know, having been in leadership myself and having run a department, you just kind of know that you're always solving a problem and then moving on to the next problem. How, and, and, I'm, and I'm particular taken by, by, by your use of the word humility, you know, because it does seem like the older you, you know, the older I, I get, the, the more humble I want to be about what I, I do know and what I do not know and to be, and be very clear and honest about those differences. So, but just in terms of, of working through the bumps and the tough meetings and the problems that come up between, you know, you, Jeff, and you, Cecil, how do you go about, how do you go about doing that? You know, how do you, how do you handle the, the, the tough stuff? So, Pat, just to clarify, do you mean with regard to our relationship as investor and CEO or just day-to-day -day the challenges that we kind of tackle at large? I would love to hear it from the perspective of, of investor in and then CEO, again, specifically referencing, you know, you guys, you guys had to cancel uh, the last podcast, in the, you know, last time because you had some, you had some stuff come up. And I'm just curious about, you know, how, how that works, you know, how, uh, you, you know, when you, when you run into bumps in the road and tough meetings and you're trying to solve problems together in those roles. Yeah, I, may, maybe I'll start, but, but Cecil obviously chime in and, and it'll, I'm very, I'm personally very curious to hear how both of us answer this because, you know, we've had a lot of, had a lot of love and a lot of hugs on this call and, and Cecil and I have a wonderful relationship that I treasure deeply. So he's, you know, he's a, he's a fantastic CEO and somebody I have a lot of respect for. So there's some more love and some more hugs, but you know, in, in business in general and in, you know, the, the investor and CEO relationship, it's never perfect. Right. And it, there are, if, if it was easy, everybody would do it. And if it was easy to deploy technology in a hospital system, everybody would do that too. And so, yeah, I, I mean, we've talked about the way things work well, you know, from my perspective, again, I'll probably touch on a couple of themes that we've hit on already in this call. And, and again, I speak from the platform that I know, which is investing on behalf of, of a large healthcare system. And so my role, you know, I have multiple, I wear multiple hats, right? One of my roles is to find great companies, introduce them to the healthcare system, you know, find great co-investors or lead investments, find great terms, make great investments, and hopefully return capital back to Providence to help us, you know, continue to support the mission of this organization. 
But once we've made an investment, we've talked about partnership drivers, right? And, and really that magic, hopefully, of being a strategic investor and bringing more than just the capital, bringing the organizational intelligence and sometimes, you know, understanding the inside baseball that one of my companies will never understand, right? Because I see their information I can't share or confidential things that are happening behind the scenes. And I, you know, we work very hard to keep a clear wall between what's happening in Providence and what I can share with my companies. But, you know, when we run into resistance by certain customers, we, we have over 50 hospitals across seven states, hundreds of clinics, over 100,000 caregivers, which is what we, we call our employees here at Providence. That is a large, diverse organization undergoing a sea change culturally and technologically, right? So as you would imagine, that is not an easy story or a smooth story. It doesn't just happen you know, overnight. It, it takes a lot. It's a slog. And we play a very small role. I mean, the real credit goes to the caregivers at our front lines who are actually delivering care in that environment. But introducing new technology, you'll find pockets of acceptance and energy and innovation. And you will find just naturally, because of human nature, pockets of resistance and contrarianism, for, for lack of a better word. And so Cecil and his team can only push those discussions so far. They respect the partnership we have. They respect the fact that, you know, these are my colleagues uh, and they're just respectful people people in general, I sometimes have to do legwork, right? And, and get my hands dirty and get into, into the conversations that are happening at the front lines, again, in a very respectful way to try and be a bird dog and try to help the company understand how to be better, at least in terms of servicing Providence. And the whole idea of our model, Pat, is that if they learn, if I can help them climb that curve faster, dealing with a complex, large healthcare system like Providence, those lessons will benefit them downstream, dealing with many of the other health systems they work with in the U.S. So I don't know if I exactly answered your question, but Cecil and I will have conversations behind the scenes all the time bouncing ideas off of one another, being very candid with each other. These are the tough discussions that despite our, our mutual respect, you have to have about, you know, whether it's a, a minor performance issue or a big challenge that we're having, how do we collectively come together, bring people to the table to help solve those? Well said, Jeff. I think it's good for the younger folks out there to hear that. Cecil, what, uh, what, uh, what do you have to say on the subject? It's actually a very important topic, Pat, that I'm glad you're you're raising because you know I've I've found over the years that a key difference between one investor and another is how they behave when times aren't so good, when you have problems, right? And when you take someone who is well, like Jeff and, and Providence Ventures, Health Enterprise Partners, uh, being another good example, they are in a different class from my experience because they bring this more fair and balanced view to every conversation. You can actually have a healthy debate. I found that to facilitate that, presenting things in a factual manner, providing information in a timely manner, being transparent as best one can, all help build confidence and trust in that type of relationship. But when you marry that with people who have both a personality, experience base, to kind of level off the peaks and the valleys uh, and deal with things on a more predictable basis, it, it goes a long way to improving the effectiveness of board member CEO communication, Pat. Well, 
There you have it, future investors and innovators and even CEOs. There is your blueprint for everything. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming today, Cecil Cost and Jeff Stolte. Thank, thank you for having us. Thank you for having us, Pat. Deeply appreciate it. Cecil, thank you for your time. I know you're busy. Thank you, Jeff. Take good care. That's the conclusion of this episode of Providence Ventures Radio, where we talk about funding the future of healthcare. If you have any questions or suggestions for the show, or just want to tell us you think we're the bee's knees or even the cat's meow, we'd like that kind of feedback. Check out the Prov Innovation channel on Medium and leave your thoughts, or follow Providence Ventures on Twitter. Thanks for listening. We'll be back. Hey, Jeff, I thought you did a terrific job. Ditto, man. It was great. Both you guys, both you guys, really a fun, a really a fun one. And, and, and by the way, uh, not to, not to kind of show my music prowess, but actually, did you realize that was, uh, that song was part of their debut album in 1984? You know, I, I, I'm not surprised because it's from my perspective, it's their more, it's their most popular song, but I didn't know that. And it was the third song on the album. Wow. Oh, they fine. buried, they practically buried. <laughs> I didn't know what they had. Go figure. That's a great tune. Exactly.